It's the Garden Nerd Tip of the Week podcast. I'm Christy Wilhelmy, and welcome to the new format where we spend time chatting with guests and ask for their favorite tip. That's right, after 10 years and 473 tips of our own, we're reaching out to other experts in the gardening world to find out what they have to say. My guest today is Sherry Powell of Compost Tina. She spends her days brewing active compost tea, and we're going to talk about what that means in a minute, and applies it to gardens throughout Southern California. She's a certified master soil consultant, a certified soil food web Oregon advisor, and a G3 certified sustainable landscape professional. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, Christy. Thanks for having me. Yay. I'm so glad you're here, and it's really fitting, I think, that you're the first person in this new format because it's sort of a metaphor for gardening in general. You know, soil is the foundation, and the soil food web is the foundation of soil, and so here is an expert on soil food web and soil compost tea as the first guest of the new format. Well, I certainly agree. You <laughs> cannot do anything if you don't have the soil. And the soil is nothing without the biology. It's just dirt. That's right. Dirt is dead. Soil is alive. That's right. Yay. Okay, so before we get into active compost tea, let's talk about that soil food web. What is it? Okay, the soil food web is the... Um, it is basically the population of microorganisms within the soil at the low end. So we all know that we see roly-polies, we all know that we see earthworms, but it's the ones that we don't see that really make our soil fertile. It's the bacteria, the fungi, the nematodes, the protozoa, all microscopic organisms all at the very bottom of the, of the soil food web. Mm-hmm. So what the soil food web really means is and and rather than just being a um, a food chain, mm-hmm. it's a food web because everybody feeds on everybody else. Right. But but basically, you start off with your bacteria. Your bacteria and your fungi at the very very bottom are your decomposers. So all of that compost you put in there, anything that needs to be decomposed, both the the bacteria and the fungi go to work on that. And they take and they they absorb, I wouldn't say necessarily eat, because they dissolve it by way of, of substances that they ooze out of their body. <laughs> <laughs> but they they take what they need, they use for their own sustenance, and then their waste, it comes out in a in a plant usable form. But they're this the first two. Then you know, they're then fed upon by protozoa. And the protozoa that are voracious eaters. Again, they feed on the fungi, they feed on the, the um, bacteria in particular, and each other. And right, that's why it's a web. It goes that's back and forth. why it's a web, exactly, yeah. because it begins to branch out. Um, and they feed on, on that, and then again, they use what they need for their own sustenance, mm-hmm. and then they poop it out. It's basically, <laughs> we call it the poop loop, which is, I know, really classy, so lovely sexy. way to put it. I know, sexy soil. <laughs> But that's basically what it is. And then along come the nematodes. The nematodes are sort of the last of the lower echelon to come in. So, you know, if you're doing a soil test and you have a lot of beneficial nematodes, you know that um, you're doing something right because they are the first to leave uh, any kind of disturbance. But they feed on everything. They feed on each other. They feed on the bacteria. They feed on the fungi. Mm-hmm. And they, as a result, are the, the you know nutrient cyclers. Mm-hmm. They are the big time nutrient cyclers. So their waste, which is much more prolific than, say, the waste of a bacteria, 
comes out again in a plant usable form. Now, I don't know how much time you have, but I have to do a coda here, which is that this doesn't just happen throughout the profile of the soil. Mm -hmm. This happens right there in the root zone of the plant because the plant is really driving this whole system. We all know about um, uh, photosynthesis, you know, from biology 101 back in high school. Um, right, and that's happening with the sun, the plants absorbing sunlight and turning it into sugars into the roots, but it, it's above ground, mostly correct. is what people think about when they think of photosynthesis. Correct, um, and it's not only are they creating simple sugars in the soil, but also in their, what they call the phylosphere, which is the foliage. Mm -hmm. um, the thing about photosynthesis is that, that they can change the chemical makeup of those exudates. Those <laughs> simple sugars that are coming out are called exudates. I love this part. And with, so if the plant is needing a particular nutrient or micronutrient, it, it tailors the chemical makeup of its exudate to call to action. It's little, you know, I think of them as a little army of microbes down there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they basically, they'll sleep in the root zone until they're needed. And then the plant will send out, send out a chemical to wake them up and put them to work and they will start metabolizing whatever it is that the plant needs potassium let's say mm -hmm. and then when the and the plant has had enough potassium it can shut them down and wake up whatever it needs say it needs phosphorus it'll wake up the phosphorus now obviously this is dynamic this does not happen one at a time mm -hmm. you know at various times it'll be waking up a whole pantheon of of microorganisms that will feed it all of these different things but it's really I had to get that part in because I find that to be the the miracle of the soil food right lab. and and I find what's what I found fascinating was when I learned that that same process can change the pH of the soil correct I love that can correct. you elaborate on that yes a bit? every plant it's it's like a microclimate so plants outside you know it's a it's a microclimate below the soil so, you know, like you walk outside, if you have a very shady part of the soil or a part of your yard because a plant has been shading it for a very long time, that's no longer going to be your zone nine where mm -hmm. we live. You know, you could actually probably plant something from, oh, don't push it too far. Don't zone get hostas. Yeah. Don't get excited about hostas. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, same thing in the soil, um, you know, in the soil because of these exudates that the plants put out. There, you can have plants that need, let's say, a little more of an alkaline soil. Let's say something around 6.8. And not too far away, you can have, let's say, a conifer that makes it much more acidic. And did I say 6.8? I meant 7.8. Mm -hmm. And then a conifer that needs it a little more acidic, acidic. so that goes down to 6.8 or yeah. 6.5. And, and they're existing relatively close to each other the soil in between is probably neutral, neutral. yeah our soil here is pretty much 7.2 no matter what i do yep and that's just life right so 
But if you were to go ahead and test right in the very root ball of some of your plants, mm -hmm. you might be surprised at how much it's changed. Oh, so it's that micro, it's that close. It's that close. Okay. So, and to lower pH, we would want our soil to be more fungal because that's in succession. We tend that's towards correct. fungal soils. Where that's If you go to a forest and dig up the soil and look at it under a microscope, you're going to find tons of fungi in the that's soil. That's correct. Whereas in vegetable gardens, it's primarily bacterial. That's correct, depending on the vegetables but yes that yeah. is correct okay uh-huh all right so thank you for clearing that up I, I don't know I mean I feel like we could talk about that for hours I could days um, and we've both taken Elaine Ingham's five-day soil food web course which is like mind-boggling and mind-blowing you've taken it like four times I've taken it several times yes, yes. <laughs> and so, I'd love to take it again uh, right it just each time a little bit more sticks that's right because everything slides off at first that's right if yeah. you get a chance to study with uh, Dr. Ingham or read any of her her papers I highly recommend you do so yeah very educational so let's move to active compost tea yes. because first of all what is active compost tea because a lot of people have the wrong idea yes they do and I actually call it I, I prefer to call it aerated aerated that compost makes, tea that is exactly what right. it should be called because yes. um the whole idea be okay let me back up a little okay. bit um compost tea to a lot of people can mean just about anything. I mean, I had somebody tell me they were using compost tea and what they were doing is they were taking weeds, mm -hmm. putting them in a barrel, and cover and put, you know, them putting in water. water and letting it sit for months. Yeah. And he said, when I opened it, it stunk to high yeah, heaven. Because that's anaerobic fermentation. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So, and he poured it into the ground and he got a reaction, but I wouldn't want to eat whatever it was that he was... He was uh, okay. You know, the, the thing is that even even bad microorganisms will cause a reaction in your plants, but you don't necessarily want to eat or, uh, what's the word, <laughs> do that to yeah. your beloved plants. Right, or your soil. You know, it's, they're the bad guys. That yeah. we, you know, I, I, to, just to make it just blunt and simple, and of course it's much more complicated than that, but the good guys are mainly the anaerobic organisms. I mean, excuse me. The, the good guys are the aerobic organisms. The bad guys are the anaerobic organisms. Okay. So, um, you know, and then the other thing that some people will refer to as a compost tea is actually a compost infusion, mm -hmm. uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but a compost tea, an aerated compost tea is is a, a liquid in which we create an environment so that the microbiology is fed and can proliferate. And multiply. And right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And the only way that it can do that is with air, with oxygen. These other uh, concoctions or, mm -hmm. you know, libations, whatever you'd like to call them for your, for your soil that I'm talking about, don't add air. Mm -hmm. They don't bubble. Um, and some of them don't add food. So aerated compost tea, what I do is I take um, premium compost that I have tested with every single batch to and, make sure. And you're looking at it under a microscope. And I look at, well, I look at my tea under a microscope. Okay. But I don't feel like looking at my compost under a microscope is quite good enough. I want to know from the biology lab, mm -hmm. not the chemical lab, but from the biology lab, what my... Um, my biota numbers are so I know exactly what my 
bacteria, fungi, nematode, um, and protozoan numbers are, and I want them to be quite high. And so, do you send samples off to like Earthfort? Yes, or yes, yeah. so exactly. that's, that's a place up north that does biology. That's testing right, Earthfort Labs up in Corvallis, Oregon. Um, it's the that's really the only West Coast biology lab mm-hmm. um, that will give me the kind of of testing. Cool. That will tell me whether or not I want to use that compost in my in my tea. And then what I do is I literally put it into a giant tea bag. <laughs> it's uh, as you know, zip it up at the top. It's a little bit more porous than a than a tea bag like that you drink um, because it's compost and not tea leaves. Um, but it's huge. I put about 10 pounds of compost into it. And your tank is how big? 300 gallons. 300 gallons. This is why we're recording this podcast at my house instead of her house because it's just loud there. It's very loud there. (laughs) (laughs) And it runs six days a week. Uh So, um, (laughs) yes. So, and then once I I get the the soil bubbling and aerated, I add um, something to uh, complex the chemicals that the city puts into our our water. Um, I, I don't know if you're your listeners know that we're in Los Angeles and you know, they put chlorine and chloramine in our water. So I want to complex that out because those are obviously those are antibacterials to keep us safe, but I need to keep my compost safe. So I put a little bit of humic acids in there Mm -hmm. and that breaks up the molecules. Yeah. Basically it, um, uh, binds to the molecules, rendering them harmless. Great. It makes them busy. (laughs) Um, and then I add foods. You know, I oh, I'm sorry. I put I so I tether my tea bag. I mm-hmm. dump it into the water once it's been complexed, and I start feeding it to grow out whatever microorganisms I want for the site that I'm taking it to the next day. Good. And so, on a small scale like yours truly, I use an eight gallon brewer. I started with a five gallon brewer, and I use a bag that calls for half a pound of compost. So that's the, that's the home scale for people who just want to drench their plants, their raised beds, or their fruit trees. Uh, but on a large scale, compostina <laughs> brings a truck to your house uh, with a tank on the back and sprays down everything, right? Right. So, But I started with a five-gallon brewer, and I used uh, to use two cups of compost <laughs> in a five-gallon bucket with a, you know, a specialized a blower mm-hmm. yep. went mm-hmm. on a pump. Cool. So how? So uh, that was my next question. How did you get into this? That's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I certainly never foresaw that I would be um, the compost queen of Los Angeles, or the compost tea queen of Los Angeles, <laughs> and be uh, compostina ever. Um, you know, it started. I the universe just sort of pointed me in this direction. I used to work in a completely different field for two decades. Then I started having my children and started casting about for something I could do closer to home so that I could be with them. Turned out my next door neighbor was a garden designer. Right. And she, at the time, was really starting to study the soil. At the time, I started working for her, doing just, you know, her finances. Mm-hmm. And she passed some books on to me. And the, the I, can I tell them what book it was? Yes, please. Okay. And the the book that really kind of changed my life without any exaggeration here is a book called Teeming with Microbes. 
By Jeff Lowenfels. Jeff Lowenfels. I saw him speak in 2009 in San Francisco, and that changed. That was it for me. Yeah. I was like, I have to know more. Yeah. He was. He's really dynamite, and he's he's able to put all of the information that I you know about the poop loop mm-hmm. into a really fascinating and layman's terms. You know, a fascinating story and layman's terms, and he also. One of the smartest things he did, because at the time I was reading the book, I never thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to turn this into an empire, you know? <laughs> it was, it was, um, gosh, how, do, what, how does this apply to my garden? Well, he has an entire section on how you, as a gardener with a plot in your backyard, can apply these principles and really make a difference. And once I had applied them to my backyard, to my own vegetable garden, and seen the incredible bounty that I got that year, I started thinking, you know, maybe other people need this. Mm-hmm. What are the results that people can expect from active compost tea or aerated compost tea? Well, there's several things. First of all, let me just let me just preface it by saying it does great on its own, but it's really a one-two punch if you mix it with a few other things, and one of them is my tip for you. Okay, so, so I will hold get that till the it. end. Yes. All right. But for instance, compost, organic matter in your soil. Mm-hmm. Um, most bagged compost, I find, has a, a lack of the proper biology. Well, what aerated compost tea will do for your compost is to bring it back up to snuff. It will um, add that that biology that's been missing, you know, that basically it just got, it's been in a bag, it's been sitting in the sun, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of things can degrade the biology in compost and compost tea can bring it back up. But what can you expect? You can expect fewer, be- fewer, fewer pests, um, more vigor, higher yields, um, I have read, although I have, do not have a bricks meter, so I have not tested myself, but I have read that the bricks uh, level in your vegetables when you use compost tea on a regular basis goes way up. So the bricks is like the sugars in, in a fruit or a vegetable. Correct. Yeah. And in the soil. It's what gives it its flavor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have bitter carrots... Add compost tea. Precisely. And they should sweeten up. Right. And it also sort of, it's, it's kind of your taste buds indication as to how, how nutritiously dense Mm -hmm. your, your fruit or vegetable is. Um, this is all, by the way, not just good for, for vegetables. It's also very, very good for fruit trees and actually just about anything that lives in the soil. And particularly applying it right after you've planted perennials in the fall it gives them that boost to set out deep roots and overwinter and then jump in spring precisely yeah we like that that's what i usually recommend that my clients do when we're putting in a new garden we'll plant the stuff you know even native plants in the fall yep and and hit it with some compost tea and then it's like it, it gives them a home Yes. And everything's everything's a lot happier. Yes. I, I'd like to just interject real quick. I'm glad you brought up native plants mm-hmm. because one of the things we hear in Southern California, I, there are a lot of people that want to say, well, native plants don't like rich soil. That, I, that's, that is a misconception I would like to clear up. Let's. Okay. <laughs> Aerated compost tea does not enrich your soil. It is just bringing it back to life. 
Even plants who like lean soil need living soil. Yes. So even though you will see an uptick in blossoms and an uptick in fruiting and an uptick in, you know, uh, uh, leafing out, that is not the result of any kind of a fertilizer going into your soil, enriching it. It is the result of biology that should have been there in the first place being replaced into your soil. Thank you for clarifying. Okay, so what is the tip that you would like to share with the Garden Nerd audience? Okay, the number one tip, and I had to really think about this because, you know, I could give you tips all day. Right. But the number one thing, if you have no other thing that you can do in your soil, the number one tip that I can give you is to use worm castings in your soil. Yes. Why is that? Well, (laughs) because worm castings, just just so people know, they're also called worm casings, um, worm compost. It's all the same thing. And what it is, is it's worm poop. It's poop. Again, we're back down to the poop loop. (laughs) Exactly. And, uh, okay, but of all of the different types of compost, and they all have their purpose. But the, the one that I think is the most important is worm castings. Because if you, if we go back to the soil food web, the higher you get, the larger the organisms. Well, one of the king bees or king worms, worms of the soil food web would be your earthworms or your red wriggler worms. Worms in general are pretty doggone high on the soil food web. So, as I told you, as you get higher on the on the hierarchy of the food web, the the waste from that higher higher level organism is much more um, fertile and potent. And potent, yeah. exactly. I think it was I read that worm castings have four times the nitrogen, or is it ten times the nitrogen? I forget. Then compost does ten times, ten times, ten times the nitrogen. So then it's four times the phosphorus or potassium. Right. Then, yeah. And it is it's full of the right kind of sulfur, potassium, um, uh, phosphates, and micronutrients, nitrogen. I mean, they're little packets of nutrients. Not to mention the micronutrients yeah. that you know we won't even get into here. But there's an there's more. <laughs> there's more. Okay, there's more. <laughs> And if you're going to mention what I think you're going to mention, this is my favorite part. Okay. There are enzymes (laughs) in worm castings that are basically pest repellents. Yes. They, uh, anything that's a sap sucker Mm -hmm. does not want to be around worm castings. That includes whitefly, mealybug. Aphids. Aphids. All of them, um, you know, uh, it's, it's distasteful for them to be around worm castings so not only i read i read if you put if your soil is 20 percent worm castings which is a pretty high high. amount but if it's 20 percent worm castings you can expect pretty much no no sap sucking activity in your soil also they say that your germination is much much faster with that ratio mm-hmm. and um, uh, the the um, yield will be much much higher mm-hmm. now um, I don't recommend that everybody go out and buy a mountain of worm castings <laughs> 
But if you take and make a solution that is 20% worm castings and 80% compost mm -hmm. and mix that up and side dress most of your plants, I would imagine you would have an extremely good result. No, I wouldn't imagine. I know you it. You know it. Yes. <laughs> well, that is a good tip. All right, garden nerds, you'll find more information about compost, Tina, and the soil food web on gardennerd.com this week. We'll also uh, share our guest post that Sherry wrote a couple of years ago about the soil food web on Garden Nerd. And we will share a link to Compost Tina, which is composttina, T-E-A-N-A.com. Uh, that's it for this week. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. Visit us at gardennerd.com. You'll find us on Instagram and Twitter under gardennerd1, on Facebook at gardennerd.com, and of course, our Garden Nerd YouTube channel. Happy gardening!